Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, joining me today. I love our time together. I want to say quickly, I've got a couple of winners from yesterday's uh, drawing for Bigger Than Me, Ward Brem's book. It looks like Connie L. and Marilyn J. are the winners, and the books will be on the way. And uh, we send them fifth class, so they should be there mm, the spring of 2021. So just trying to save money. Just trying to be careful. Going to have a great hour with uh, Rick Matson and John Afonso, and we're going to chat a little bit today about, uh, you know, why Christians are moving away from the faith, and there's some reasons that they're doing that. And a lot of them are, 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 are some of them are pretty obvious, and some we're going to talk about. We're also going to open up the phone lines, and if you want to send a text, let me know what the question is regarding maybe someone in your life that has drifted away, and you're maybe a little bit freaked out, and you think, what what should I do to engage them? What what questions should I ask? How do I get them back into the the conversation of the faith? And uh, you watch them slip away, and it's not pleasant at all. So uh, let us know what your questions are. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. It's a text line only today. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. I'll take sixty seconds, and then we'll bring on Rick and Jana. of Faith Radio is to lead people to Christ and nurture them in their faith through Christ-centered media. In all that we do and the programs we air, we want to lift up Jesus and make him known. It's your prayer and financial support that equip us to make this mission possible. Thank you again for your ongoing support and investment in our ministry. To make a gift today, you can call 877-93-FAITH. That's 877-93-FAITH. Stay informed on what's happening at Faith Radio through the Faith Radio newsletter. When you sign up to receive the newsletter at MyFaithRadio.com, you'll be sent a monthly email that keeps you up to date on recent live show guests, compelling articles, and the latest book and Bible giveaways. Sign up for the Faith Radio newsletter anytime at MyFaithRadio.com under the Subscriptions tab. That's MyFaithRadio.com. the show. I've got uh, John Afonso and Rick Manson in the studio. They always come as a pair, and I love it. Uh, they, um, Jonna is the Worship and Community Life Pastor at Salem Church in New Brighton, Minnesota, right here in the Twin Cities. And Rick is an author and a speaker. He's also an apologetics and evangelistic expert. I'm calling him an expert, and, and he's with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. He's been with them for over 30 years, primarily now working with a lot of uh, grad students throughout the country including campuses like Stanford, 
Well, anyway, welcome back to the show. Wow. That sounds kind of snobby. Yeah, it does. They let you in Stanford, huh? Yep, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Only by video conferencing. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so okay. far. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Well, I want to talk today about some of the trends that's happening and maybe some of the reasons why people are drifting away from their Christian faith. Of course, uh, the Christian world got shocked recently with Joshua Harris, who has written a number of good books. Uh, and he said, I'm leaving my marriage. I'm leaving uh, Jesus. And I don't know how you do that. I don't either. When I saw that, I mean, part of me was shocked just because he has been so prominent in the past. But part of me also said, well, here we go again. Uh, you know, another public figure, another prominent Christian walking away from the faith. And it makes me wonder, has the faith itself changed? Is Jesus no longer the creator and Lord of the universe and our Savior? And does uh, a celebrity's, a Christian celebrity's experience somehow change that? No, I think that has stayed the same, actually. Oh, that's right. And then uh, that's the, the, the anchor, that's the center point, the reference point. But people do seem to drift away from the reference point. And yeah, it's baffling. I do think that um, some of the tides of our culture with um, secularism and uh, scientism and other isms, you know, um, the tides of our culture do seem to flow against the faith. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I would uh, want to say to our listeners today is do not be discouraged um, that uh, this uh, this is going to happen Um Jesus did this parable about soils, and he even talked about people who initially received the faith um, losing it and, um, and, and talking about what causes some of those losses of, uh, within the human heart um, of faith. And I think that that story of people being in the faith and then going away from the faith is, is going to become more common as our culture becomes less Christian, as the cost of being a Christian raises. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting is I think that people who are coming to faith at this time in our culture will probably be less likely to fall away because they've come counting the cost of that, whereas many sort of drifted there or families were there or, you know, so I just want to say, uh, don't panic. Yeah. And don't lose sight of the Lordship of mm. Jesus Christ. Um, return to some of those beautiful pictures and revelation of worship of our Lord. That that's the end of our story. We're headed toward that. This is a rocky time for the church in America, but it is not without hope. Amen. Now, here's a question from Scott. He said, uh, what would you say to relatives that have become atheists? What do you say to in-laws that have drifted away from a nominal mainline church background? I think, you know, I do interact a lot with uh, atheists in my travels and college campuses. I think the f my first impulse is to always uh, start with questions. Um, maybe for some of us, the temptation is just to start preaching at them, but... <laughs> I guess I want to know their story. What's behind this? Uh, what uh, caused them to, for them to come to the, their current uh, position? And now I'm in a position myself to be an active listener and really dig into their deep motivations 
And some will share quite honestly about, I've had a lot of atheists just put it all out there for me. Mm-hmm. And I've really appreciated that. I, I felt like, well, now I've connected with this person on a deeper level. And if we do get into some of the theological, biblical, philosophical issues with this person, now I've got a foundation on which to build. But if you jump right to those issues, you've sort of missed the whole biography, missed the whole story of how this happened. So that that is my first move is to g- gently, you know, not as an interrogation, but to have genuine curiosity and care for them and ask questions about how they how they got to where they are. Wow. And in some ways, I would say um, the thought of an in-law or someone in my life who was sort of a nominal Christian drifting away, again, not a huge surprise there. Um, maybe it, it the conversation there is to begin to talk about, is there anything spiritual going on in their lives? Um, the Christianity they um, left sounds like a fairly thin fairly shallow uh, Christianity, and there is this robust, beautiful, transformative faith that awaits them. But um, it may not be about why did you leave because they left because their faith was fairly irrelevant anyway. There was a limited commitment to that. But maybe finding out what's going on, thinking of them more at a ground zero, what's going on in your life spiritually. I would really agree with that. And then when a teachable moment comes up, you've got a foundation on which to uh, build. But I think, too, that I want to continue to live out my Mm. Christian life, not in a way that imposes or a way that dominates, but I want to live out the authenticity of my own Christian life in front of that person. That means if they're at my house, let's say, we still pray at meals, we still go to church, we have our routines, our rhythms, we talk about the sermon. I mean, we do all the things that we've always done in our house we don't uh, kind of reduce the visibility of Christianity mm-hmm. in our lives, reduce the visibility of Jesus in my life because I have a new atheist or some other unbeliever in our midst. I am, they are being who they are. They already made that de- declaration. Now I am being who I am as well, but not in a way that forces or imposes, I would say. Yeah. You know, you know whenever I talk to an atheist, I always find common ground saying, you know, Jeremiah 17 says, you have faith and I have faith. It's just where we have placed it. Mm. And as an atheist, I think, wow, you may have more faith than I do because you have the faith to believe there isn't a God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I love uh, what you're saying, uh, both of you. And I think, uh, Rick, your point being that you don't ever dial back your life. No. You no. Never, never do you hide anything. Maybe the next big uh, fork in the road is the person open to talking or not. Mm-hmm. Some just like, okay, I'm done with it. I'm here. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to argue about it. Don't bring it up. Okay. Well, I understand. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Maybe in the future that'll come up. Not right now. Let's find other stuff to talk about. Let's go to a Twins game. That could be depressing. No, hopefully that'll be joyful in the upcoming weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Let uh, me take... But if they are open to talking, then let's just dive in. And that point, I'm an active conversation partner yeah. with this person. I, I think atheists are spiritually so hungry. You know, they're, they're mad about something and they're, they're holding a position and they're, they're, they're probably a little bit easier to reach than someone who's been churched and drifted away. Because hmm. yeah, in many cases, that person thinks they know a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me take a little break. Uh, Rick Matson and John Fonts are in studio. Uh, Rick's written a couple books that I have in my hand. One is called Faith is Like Skydiving. 
and other memorable images for dialogue with seekers and skeptics and also Faith Unexpected, which are real stories of people who found what they never imagined, a great little uh, book based on a whole bunch of great stories of faith. Uh, So we'll take a short break. Let us know what your questions are. If you know someone who's drifted away from the faith or maybe has completely said, nah, I'm done, uh, let us know what your questions are. We'll tackle them. 877-933-2484. Back in 90 seconds. Studio, John Afonso and Rick Matson. they come as a team. I love it when they show up because we always have lively discussions about apologetics and evangelism. And uh, we're t- chatting today about people who have sort of drifted away from the faith. Let me ask you this. Is one of the reasons that Christians are possibly drifting away is because of the way we treat each other online? Oh, online. <laughs> does that have something to do with it, perhaps? I think it does represent people's hearts in in many cases. Maybe in church settings uh, proper, those hearts are not always revealed and those things are not always said. But when you get behind a screen and you get work, worked up about something and you start typing, uh, some of those feelings and emotions and some of those negative thoughts can, can really come out. And we don't treat people with the same respect online that we might in person. So, yeah, at times it uh, it's pretty bad online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would long for us to develop a Christian ethic around our online life. Mm, wow. That there would be a sense of there are lines we will not cross. There are things we will not do because we're honoring Jesus, you know, here. Yeah, and I just number one say anything negative you say online just is amplified. Like if you have something negative to say, say it to someone's face. Like deal <laughs> right. with it there and let like you said the personal the the actual presence soften mm. and um, yeah don't don't do your conflict online please and Paul says in uh, Colossians four and I've been working with these verses a lot in Colossians four that we are our, our speech needs to be seasoned with mm. grace mm-hmm. and uh, seasoned with salt he says boy that's a very different feel than what you might find on certain Instagram or Facebook posts or other chat room. Mm-hmm. And then don't we have people that drift away from the faith because they they did not interact with a God that they expected. They thought, I expected God to be different. Mm-hmm. I thought that this would be a different experience. And I feel like it didn't work out the way I thought would it would work out. Yeah, we actually do see percentages of people talking, especially young people, about how their faith didn't work. And I'm just curious about what that means, like what's what lies behind that. But I think some of it is this picture that we have of how God is going to treat uh, uh, believers or good people, um, that um, it's almost a, I would call it a very pagan view of God, that you sort of like you insert goodness into the uh, machine of God and out comes blessing or what I want. And uh, it's fairly simplistic. 
And um, it that 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 sense of that kind of a relationship with God, a very um, I give you God what you need, and then I get what I want. I would say that relationship has to has to fall. Yeah, that, that would be is, a transactional relationship, yeah, you might say. Yeah, instead and of the covenantal, covenantal, this committed relationship between you and God. Um, yeah, so I think that um, yeah, the experience, or I've even heard um, some some people talk about church being uh, boring, you know. So I expected if we're talking about God, this should be exciting and it should be. Uh, wondrous and amazing, and instead it's boring. And I always want to apologize to those people <laughs> and say it shouldn't be boring. I always think one of my favorite authors is Annie Dillard, and she says when when people walk into church, they ought to be wearing helmets because you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, you have the living God is present, and anything could happen there. Um, I am sorry, you know, if if you've had a boring experience of God because. Um, he's powerful and he's real, but he isn't a performer. He will not do tricks for you. Right. Um, I, you have a, yeah, I have a friend who's now an atheist and he left the church as a teenager because God didn't answer his prayers for more friends and did not answer his prayers for a healing of a um, malady that he had in his body. Well, God, I did the right things. I showed up. I said the right things. I said the right prayers. I performed my part of it. God didn't perform his part of it. Therefore, God is not there. Therefore, I'm now an atheist. And, I mean, that might be a bit extreme, but I think it does kind of bespeak of this trend, of this transactional notion that we have of what God is like. If I do my part, then he's obligated to do his part. That's a deeply wounded person. It is. Mm-hmm. And if he doing, doesn't, I'm out of here. He's doing cost-benefit analysis, yep. which is the last thing you should ever do with God. Yeah, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about when millennials today, would uh, they, they want to they know why? You know, do, did, did some of them get answers that didn't give them enough information? Uh, they didn't, you know, it's easy to give a kind of a, a little bit of a canned answer for certain things and then hope that they just are happy with that. Yeah, and I do think we need uh-huh. to dig in more than we are with our That's young people. That's the point I'm trying to yeah. make. And, yeah. But it's hard. Uh, first, we have to get them in the door so there's enough pizza and dodgeball <laughs> going on in the church t- to get them there. Then mm. youth ministers get criticized for that. Then youth ministers get deep with the kids and half of them leave and they get criticized for that. Yeah. So I think part of this kind of the meta level I like the word meta. I don't know what it means, but yeah, I don't know what it means either. But, <laughs> but let's use it a lot. Let's use it hour. a lot. Okay. <laughs> the meta level is that the church needs to support its youth ministries and not be so critical of its youth ministries, so that they can be successful. So that they can do both fun and community on the one hand, and deep learning on the other. Boy, both of those have to happen in church for young people, or they will come to those of us in campus ministry. Uh, burned out or just disinterested and leave the faith. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think a shallow experience of the faith or a shallow understanding of the faith is problematic. And unfortunately, um, what's true is in your teenage years, you're tending to get the basics of things. So the basics of math and the basics of reading. And we all know when you get to college, you kind of take that to this new level that um, moves you into more critical thinking. Um, But you're not going to get faith 
that goes there in college, unless you are specifically seeking that out. Here's a plug for InterVarsity. And other campus ministries. And other campus ministries where um, we're engaging these really deep questions that begin to arise as you get into those that those higher cognitive functions. Um, so I feel like often the shallow rejection is um, because they didn't take the next step. Like there is more to know there. There is more. So can, how can we be invitational? How can we invite spaces where those deeper questions can be asked? I recently had a youth minister invite me in to do arguments for the historical reliability of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Sounds boring, but actually the kids paid attention for 45 minutes. And it was back and forth. It wasn't just me lecturing. You know, we need to find ways of delivery of this content, too. It's not just the content. Mm-hmm. And we would really had a wonderful time. And my hope and prayer is that that will make a difference to them when they get to college and their faith is challenged, that we have some very good reasons to trust in the reliability of the gospel accounts of Jesus. Now, this discussion, of course, is for all ages, right? We're not That's just focusing right. on kids That's because right. there's many adults uh, in their 50s and 60s uh, that are saying, I am leaving because I'm tired of the dysfunctional church and all the problems that they're having. And I'm I'm just reaching my point where I thought, ah, it's enough. Yeah. Oh, it's just so hard. Yeah, we call that church hurt, you church know. Hurt, yep. Yeah, um, bad things happen, um, and so I exit. And um, so, you know, here's our caveat um, when we say, come to church with me. Um, it's not full of perfect people. No. <laughs> it's actually full of people on a journey who are broken and seeking healing, who are sinners seeking forgiveness, who are um, all of the things that you are, they are. That's why we're here, because we're broken. (laughs) That's right. And we are admitting that. Right. So I always say, this is sort of the same thing as saying, I'm not going to go to the gym because there's a lot of people there that aren't fit. I'm like, well, that's why the people would be at at the the gym gym, is to get fit, you know, to, to be working on that. And that's really where the church is, um, is at. But I also want to own as a pastor that, um, systems can be dysfunctional and there are weaknesses. My church is wonderful and it has its weaknesses and, um, hard conversations are difficult. And honestly, our culture isn't helping that a lot, isn't, uh, creating spaces where hard conversations can be had. Um, but, uh, you know, don't, again, where will you go that you won't find that? We're going to take a little break. I have in studio John Afonso. She's the worship and community life pastor at Salem Church in New Brighton, and Rick Matson, who's an apologetic specialist for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. We've uh, got all kinds of time to take your questions, so let us know what it is you would like us to deal with and to uh, address. We're talking today about drifting away from the faith and some of the reasons that people are doing that and people that you might know, maybe they're in your family that have uh, left uh, the church. Maybe they have become very disenfranchised from their Christian faith and we want to get them re-engaged and get them uh, back up discussing and being loving and graceful and merciful. And uh, we're going to take your questions, 877-933-2484. Take a short break and be right back.
So nice to have Rick Madsen and John Afonso in studio. John is the uh, worship and community life pastor at Salem Church in New Brighton, and Rick is an apologetist. Apologet? How do I say that? Apologist. Apologist. <laughs> and evangelist. A- apologist and evangelist, and he works with uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and he's been doing that for over thirty years. And we're talking today about when you've drifted away from the faith. Maybe uh, someone you know and love has done that, and we're trying to uh, figure out uh, ways in which we can uh, re-engage them. And some of the reasons they may have drawn away, have fallen away from the faith. Maybe uh, they felt like they couldn't measure up to other people's expectations for them, Mm. kids in particular. I mean, if you're a in a Christian family, your Christian kids got to be Christian perfect, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Next question, Bill. Yes. I'll, I'll move <laughs> no. On. <laughs> next question. I mean, there, there's that yeah. issue. Of, Jonna, do you have something there, to say? There's about that this? issue of legalism. Yes. You know, where that we we want to be full of grace, and you know, you want kids to to make their little mistakes under the umbrella of your household, so you can help correct and them. <laughs> you know, I think. Uh, Bail me out here, one of you. Quickly. My church, I think, is trying to do two things at once and doing it fairly well. I've been there over 20 years now, and that is to have ideals. Uh, we aspire to these scriptural ideals. And at the very same time, part of this message of ideals is that we admit openly that we're not living up to those mm. ideals. We are, we are broken people. Now, Brokenness doesn't become an excuse then just for more brokenness and and whatever. We don't don't want to remain there. But if we sort of claim this perfection and claim this sainthood and then expect kids to start adopting that understanding and language, and that that doesn't work. That's the legalism I think Bill is referencing. So, uh, John, can we do both of these things? Can we have these ideals and can we admit at the same time that we're not living up to them but are kind of on the journey? I think the church at its best has always done that, and um, and churches that have true authenticity, which are which is compelling. It is compelling in our world to um, to have a picture, a, a thing you are aspiring toward, something larger than you and larger than your life that sets direction, that guides you. But owning, I'm not there. I'm on a journey. If you step into this. You're not going to be there yet either. We're all on this journey. There's a ton of grace. There's a ton of forgiveness. The church at its best has always, always done that. So, yeah, I think inauthenticity, um, veneers of mm-hmm. goodness, which sap all of our energy. If we're busy covering up, then we can't actually deal with what's really going on. I would say to people, stop looking good and start moving toward goodness like don't worry anymore about the veneer. Leave the energy of that behind and use that energy now instead to actually deal with the stuff going and on. And that is going to be compelling to young people. I know that, but uh, we're expanding the conversation here, not just to young people. Uh, people who, even in middle age or beyond, are struggling with the faith or on the border of the faith, they're on their way out or on their way in. That's going to be compelling to them as well. Mm-hmm. One of my brilliant listeners said, it's uh, great to hear all of you today. So nice to have you here, of course. And this is the situation. I work with one of the nicest, respectable, kind men on my uh, retirement part-time job. Uh, he walked away from the faith after praying to God for his mother's healing. Instead, mom died. He wants nothing to do with God, the Bible, or faith conversations. 
How do I begin to build on our great friendship without mm. wounding him or his moving away further from mm. reconciling with God? We're both over 65 years old. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I, you know, I think first, don't you think, John, there's a pastoral and relational element to this before you kind of get into the, uh, maybe the, not the best theology here this person is operating on, but what would you say by way of pastoral concern and relational building right. here? Well, it does sound like you've got a great relationship with this person, and um, and certainly this person is struggling with disappointment. You know, again, we've talked a little bit about that. There's there's some theology under there, some transaction, but the wound in his heart is so profound that, um, yeah, he's completely shut off his soul um, for out of protection, out of pain. So I think listening to that pain praying for him, <laughs> praying about that pain, um, uh, caring for it, listen, you know, asking him about that. What, what was that loss of your mom? I lost a dad. Most of us have lost someone and you, and identifying with that journey, um, would be really important honoring, honoring where he's at. And if you guys really do have a good friendship, um, you saying, so I haven't, I've had those experiences and haven't walked away from the faith. Is it okay when I share about my stories? You're and asking permission there. Yeah, yes. yeah. I don't, I, I just want you to know it's not really about pushing anything on you. I'm not trying to do that, but I am trying to be who I am. So it's kind of a gentle ask saying, I know this is sensitive for you. Is it okay? It's just going to be kind of natural for me to share a little bit about what's going on. So I think a gentle, respectful ask there. Exactly. I'm totally with you on that. And then when we get down into the theology and philosophy of this, then we start moving toward this idea of a fallen world. It's a broken world. And in a fallen, broken world, uh, things are not always going to turn out perfect. Uh, Sometimes we will see God heal directly. Sometimes we won't. We don't always know why. There's not always a perfect answer for that, but I think the larger answer is the context. And the context is that we live in a broken world where bad things happen to seemingly good people, or at least good by worldly standards. And we need to trust the Lord that ultimately he's going to bring justice and ultimately he's going to bring healing, but maybe not immediately. And that's part of the broken world that, in which we live. And that conversation could go on for hours and weeks and years maybe, but I think this idea of broken world is a really good place to start when we sort of eventually get to the theology and philosophy. Mm-hmm. Those are, are both good meta answers. Um, <laughs> meta, when, meta. Meta, meta, yeah. <laughs> but when you are, uh, I, to, when I'm thinking about this situation, this person needs some help mourning. Help that yeah. person mourn. Mm. So tell me, about, tell me about one of the most hilarious things your mom did in high school. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden he's telling this wonderful story about his mom that that is just making him happy, you know, and you you start to learn about some of mom's great moments. Mm. And then all of a sudden he's excited talking about mom. It's not the, you know, the, he's not focusing on the fact that, you know, he didn't get his prayer answered. He's celebrating his mom's life. And then I think all of a sudden you can start to talk about when the time comes about the spiritual reality of Psalm 139, where all your days are ordained for you before you even get one of them. Mm -hmm. And you're talking at least part in there referring to the power of humor, and you're a well-known humorist around, uh, 
Well, around the world, Bill. Around the world. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the power of a smile and humor, it sounds trite to say that, but no, I think it really is powerful, and I think the Lord uses it in uh, these, these conversations, in these relationships. Mm-hmm. That's good. A merry heart is good medicine. Of course, we all know that from Proverbs. All right, here's a question, a little bit off topic, and I think this is going to go to you, Rick. What does it mean to be an apologist? An apo- I'll hang up and listen. Go yeah, ahead. Okay. Yes, an, an apologist uh, is someone who makes a case for the Christian faith. So you're sort of acting like a Christian lawyer, and you're trying to present uh, evidence and reasons and arguments for the truth of the Christian faith, or sometimes it's called defensive apologetics, where you're trying to defend the faith against attacks. But uh, I usually put this idea of apologetics, which comes from apologia, meaning to make a case or make a defense, the, the Greek word, I usually put it in the domain or the category of evangelism. I see myself as an evangelist overall, and inside the ministry of evangelism, I have a tool and that tool is the tool of apologetics, case making. And so it all kind of weaves together for me. Mm. And I, there are some people may not agree with that definition of an apologist. They might think it's a thing in itself, but I like to put it under the rubric of evangelism. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have adult children who have rejected their faith, what mistakes might elderly parents make in trying to connect back to them because they're still their kids, right? Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you might, you might end up doing something that would feel childish to them mm-hmm. when they don't want to be treated like kids, like children anymore. <laughs> so is there any advice you can give to parents that say, I need to talk to my son or daughter about where they're at in their faith, but I want to make sure I keep the discussion warm and inviting if possible. Yeah, I think talking down, I think imposing is not helpful. I think uh, playing the parent card with the sense of power and obligation that comes with that is not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I'm a past middle-aged parent and it's hard to withhold that card and not play it at times. But these are adults we're dealing with now. And we need to show the utmost care and respect. Yeah. You think? I think um, one of the things that may help you, especially as you're trying to like approach it with the right heart, it sounds like there's a lot of good heart. I just want my kids to experience the life that Jesus is offering them. That's awesome. Um, I think that uh, one of the approaches to think is that your, your kids really are on a spiritual journey. And um, when they were younger... There was a connection to Jesus. I think of these as hooks that God gets in their heart, you know, and then something has happened and be curious. I'd be really curious to hear about what happened or what didn't happen for them or, you know, to learn to become a student of them a little bit. Think of this whole journey and then what happened on their journey that led them to where they are now. You know, and um, and once you know that story, you're going to be able to more wisely interact. But again, I think as Rick and I keep emphasizing, there has to be incredible respect here. In some ways, I, a parent has to detach from the results of the con- like they have to say, I can't I can't get too caught up in my kid coming to church again. I can't get too caught up in those results. Those belong to the Holy Spirit. 
but I'm going to find out about my kid. I'm going to be curious about them. I'm going to be praying for them. I'm going to share things that are happening in my life spiritually. We're going to continue to do spiritual things as a family. We're going to pray around meals. We're going to, you know, I'm going to have a Bible open. I'm going to talk about my faith without imposing that. Without imposing, correct. Um, But just as they share their story, I share my story. I just had a weekend with one of my sisters who's kind of walked away from the faith. And this is exactly, I just went in over and over saying in my head, she's going to share stories. I'm going to share stories. And it just so happens that my life is full of stories of what God is doing in my life and interacting with me in my life. And so I can share those without imposing or asking her to believe anything I can just share, you know, and we just had a great weekend connecting. Uh, She sent me a text as I flew back from Portland and just said, um, it was just so nice to talk, to hear what's going on in your life. That's how she heard it. So Mm. I was like, thank you, Jesus, you know, first steps, you know. This has been played out in a very public way by public figures. Uh, Tony Campolo, the famous preacher of a maybe a generation ago, and his son, Bart. Bart recently uh, walked away from the faith, maybe four or five years ago, and I spent some time with Bart in Cincinnati, one of my ministry trips this year, and they wrote a book. So I'm not talking out of school here. They wrote a book called Why I uh, Left and Why I Stayed, and it's uh, a dialogue between Tony, who's now in his 80s, and Bart, maybe in his 50s, and uh, the approach that Tony takes to... Bart's Leaving the Faith, I think can be really instructive. So I would uh, recommend that book uh, to folks. So Why I Left, uh, Why I Stayed by Tony and Bart Campolo. Yeah, that's great. So I will also then recommend Rick's books and they're called uh, Faith Unexpected, Real Stories of People Who Found What They Never Imagined. It's a collection of some uh, great stories of faith, which is kind of an easy read and it's uh, very enjoyable. And another one is called Faith is Like Skydiving and Other Memorable Images for Dialogue with Seekers and Skeptics. Rick Matson. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back. Back to the show. Got a nice email from a listener that reminded us of letters from a skeptic. <clears throat> Can't remember who wrote that book. A uh, Craig Boyd. Yeah, Craig Boyd wrote that book. Yeah, he, she was uh, putting that in the putting that in the mix. And I got another great uh, letter from a listener that said, "The way I see it, there are two kinds of Christians who leave the faith. The first is the one who is a true believer, but he's hurt or injured in the church or by another Christian." He's the one about whom the scriptures indicate that Jesus leaves the 99 and goes after the one. The other is the one who seemed to be a believer, but never really was. And there's that passage in 1 John 2, 9. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. Or if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. And college campuses, it's all over the map. Mm-hmm. There are some who are true believers who are no longer active but still have a faith. True believers who have left the faith altogether. Then there's the 
uh, maybe nominal, shallow believers, or were they? (laughs) We're not really Mm -hmm. sure. And now we see them at the collegiate level, and they're looking for something, and we want to extend that invitation to uh, check out uh, Jesus, maybe for the second time, maybe for the first time for them. I don't always know. I can't always tell. But I think that is actually a good insight there. You do have both, and it's good to be aware that some people came from a genuine faith, others from not so genuine a faith, right. some people kind of on the border in the middle, and we need to be ready for all, for all those. It's not that easy. Yeah, and I think the capturing the heart of God that Jesus leaves the 99, you know, this picture of longing for the one that isn't in the faith or longing for those who don't, that heart of God that is always chasing after the lost. I think we want to capture that. And again, discerning, discerning how, you know, did this person ever know Jesus or did they not might be helpful in that pursuit. But I think the longing is that they would all come to know Jesus. When I get into um, these relationships and kind of the possibilities that present themselves, I guess the first thing I want to be saying to myself is, or asking myself is, what is God already doing in this person's life? How can I get in touch with what that is? In other words, how can I be a detective? How can I be a research person here? And once I find out what God is already doing in their life, then I can participate in that. And that gets me out of the business of being a salesman for Jesus and into the business of being a detective, a shepherd, a discerning person who's going to be active with the way in which God is already active. He's the active agent. He's the great evangelist. I'm the junior partner mm-hmm. here. And boy, when I keep that in mind and I pray into that, stuff happens. When I forget that and I kind of lapse into the sales mode, then uh, not so good. It's a good meta answer. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So um, can I ask you a question, yes, Rick? Yes. I would just like to poke at, as we are thinking, you know, um, statistics are coming through that uh, millennials and younger are leaving the church, that they're the le- the least churched generation and stuff like that. Just curious, do you have any insight, advice to listeners about things that might help prevent prevent yes. that leaving or at least give them a fighting chance to hang on when they hit those tidal forces of college or our society? You read that question exactly the way I wrote it. So yeah. thank you. <laughs> Now, I have a long list of stuff here, but maybe to hit some highlights, I think students coming up through the grades need to have experiences of service in the church. They need to go overseas. They need to be going to the inner city, but go in the inner city, not just to do service projects as a thing in itself, but to serve Jesus. So there's teaching on these projects as well. And they need to have uh, relationships with adults other than their parents. They need to see the faith model. They need to have authentic experiences of the power of God in church. And then one maybe that's a little bit off the beaten path that I think about a lot is the church needs to learn to uh, affirm them in who they are becoming. So let's say you have a young athlete. Mm. Well, how is it that God actually approves of their athletic ability or approves of their musical ability so that they get rid of this dichotomy between faith and regular life? And instead of a dichotomy, you have integration. 
So what if we taught our young kids that, hey, when you're in a band concert at school or a choir concert or a sporting event, when you're on the baseball team, whatever, God is actually there and he's running with you and he's playing with you and he approves because he has given you this gift and we encourage you to give it right back to him as your offering, as your service, as your worship. And I think kids way too often see their regular lives, their secular lives, stuff they're interested in, whether it's cars or sports or whatever, art, they see it as separate from their spiritual life. But what if we help them put those things together and they felt the approval and love of God inside those things and not, hey, when you're done with that, come on over to church so we can do the real spirituality. I can really get preaching about that, by the way. Nice job. Thank you. What about when godly people just make bad choices because they've been influenced in some way by the world or the enemy and they start to buy into a lie, and then they start to believe the lie more than their faith. Right. And they have they have maybe not been as active in their faith as they should have been, their, their Bible study, their fellowship, their church going, and all of a sudden they're just low-lying fruit, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the um, Scripture talks about people being deceived, that that is going to happen, um, that people are going to... Um, explore or wonder about alternative truth, you know, to the one that scripture is presenting. And I think, again, we, uh, we just hold, we hold to that truth. We journey with them. We don't break relationship. Um, I remember having a a counselor um, when I was doing some work on my own self would ask me periodically, so how's that working for you? You know, and it was just a, Let's just check in when you've run to the edge, when you found out that that is a lie that destroys, then, you know, you're there to say, let's return to the truth. We only have a couple of minutes left, but when we have issues in our world today, when there is uh, changes in marriage and everything else, and people are going, well, if you still believe that, then I'm not, I can't be a Christian anymore. What do you say to that? Yeah, there's, uh, like many of these issues, there's a pastoral part of this and more of a theological apologetic uh, part of it. And so, I mean, John, you and I have said a thousand times, we need to listen, care, walk with them, admit our own brokenness, all those sorts of things. And then at some point, when the theological issues start to come forward, then we make some sort of apologetic for what Scripture is really saying. And then myself, I always like to get back, well, what has the church always believed about this? It's not that I'm the world's best interpreter of the Bible. I'm standing with how the church has always handled these issues going all the way back through the centuries to the time of the apostles, their presentation of Jesus, their writing of the scriptures. That's where we identify with. So the ancient creeds, the apostles creed and the Nicene creed, that's where we really find our anchor, not just in our own Uh, contemporary interpretations of the Bible. We've been reading the Bible with the church all these centuries, and so when these particular issues come up, that's the authority that I stand on, Uh, this tradition going all the way back to the apostles. Now, there's meta. That's big time meta. You want to try to follow that, Jonna? Yeah, I, think, I, did, I mean, just uh, just to say, Amen. I think um, I think that as that that again, as Christians, I just I, the kind of the word I, I I find myself saying a lot to people in my congregation is, "Don't freak out." Like 
it's okay that these questions are coming. Our culture is, um, is posing them. It's okay to take time to research and explore um, as things get redefined in our culture, but the church holds firm to its traditional. Don't freak out. Uh, dig into those ancient resources. Find the help you need to be able to talk about uh, these issues. Um, there are answers, and um, God has not given up on our culture or our kids. God has not walked away from the people who've walked away from him. You can rely on him, and you can trust him. Mm-hmm. And if I may say, around LGBTQ issues these days, uh, Wesley Hill is a really great author and speaker. You can find him online. His materials are super helpful in this regard. Thank you so much for that. It's uh, always important to pray for people and remember that God's got this in his timing, in his perfect way. And you hear all kinds of stories of people that have, you know, come to their senses, so to speak, maybe with weeks left to live. Hmm. And that it's God's business and our job to love them and pray for them and keep showing them our, our love and mercy and grace and then keep speaking the truth to them. Amen. All right. Well, that wraps up our show. Thank you so much to uh, Rick Matson, John Afonso for coming in. Rick's got a couple of books, Faith is Like Skydiving and Faith Unexpected. Where do you get these, Rick? You can get them online, faithunexpectedstories.com. And the uh, Faith is Like Skydiving, that book can be found on Amazon or in a varsity press. Awesome. John, thank you so much for being here. It's always great. That wraps up our day. Thank you to all the guests, uh, especially uh, Rob Louie and Rebecca Ree for making it such a great hour. Have a great night, everyone. God bless. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.